And kids, you can enjoy Woodside Kids. You can be dismissed. It was great having you around today. Thanks for singing with us. You guys just make it much more exciting in here. Some of these old foeys just kind of stand there, really silent. It's good to get our blood flowing uh, with the kids moving around. So, so glad that you're able to be with us. Uh, Keep praying for us as we kind of get back into... Uh, full-fledged ministry. Now that we've got a little bit better facility here, uh, we'll be working towards Woodside Kids being a full hour uh, so instead of their being in here with us for the first time, uh, for the first segment of our service. We're working towards getting that team built back up, um, and, and so we can have that worship time for the kids in their environment uh, and allow the parents to enjoy time with us. I know, it's a challenge, parents, I know, uh, to really focus in on the message of the songs as the kids are there, and they're do- but I just want to say to you as parents, you're rocking it. You are. I just love to see how those kids want to be here in the gathering of worship, and they're, they're engaged in worship to the level that they can, and it's, it's a testimony that you guys are, this isn't just an anomaly on their week. Where, okay, now we're going to talk about God. That's weird. No, I can tell that this just becomes something you do with more people. Um, But worship has been an experience of your family. It's been a conversation. And that's what we want to be as followers of Jesus. People that, as we're walking in the way, we're talking about it. As we're eating our food, we're talking about the life of faith. As we're going through our experience, our daily, normal life experiences, that God is a part of it part of our conversation. He's part of our figuring out, even as, as we just sang about that, when we go into a season where we're still trying to figure things out. God's brought us to a new part of the waters we've never sailed before, and we need his guidance that, that, that he is a part of that journey. Uh, maybe some of you are kind of stepping feet in the water of a church home, and you're thinking, I wonder if this is the place where God has for us. Well, I'm just telling you, God is with you in that journey, And he will guide you perfectly. You don't have to fret and worry. Just rest in him and watch him lead you. It's going to be incredible. Some of us are in a a journey of physical questions. Uh, Our prayer time before service, it was just amazing to hear how many people are going through significant health crises. We pray for Mary and her son-in-law Brad uh, in their crises with the appendicitis right now, the ruptured appendix. Pray for Gary and the thyroid removal procedure that he's, he's anticipating. We have other family members of, and loved ones in our, in our family here that are, are going through some significant things. God is in the midst of it. And that is the message that Jesus gave to his followers here in the, the passage we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is an account... It's a record of Jesus' words that he gave to a big crowd of followers um, soon after that time when they welcomed him into Jerusalem with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. You've heard of that, right? The triumphant entry of Jesus. 
where the city of Jerusalem just thought, hey, this is time. Let's go. Victory is here. And Jesus gives them in the Olivet Discourse, or in other words, a conversation he had on the Mount of Olives, where he tells them a different perspective on what was about to come. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy living around here. I love the Blue Water area. One of the cool things about this region is we get to see the world go by. Although it's contained in a big freighter, it's moving from the Atlantic Ocean down through the St. Lawrence Seaway all the way up through the Great Lakes to Duluth, Minnesota. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles with carrying grain or 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 whatever else they carry in those big old things uh, as they move up and down the seaway. But maybe maybe you've seen a scene something like this um, as we look from shore and we see these big thousand foot freighters barreling down the river, and then we see these tiny little fishing boats or or. Uh, convenience crafts or whatever you, is out there, and you think, oh man, this isn't going to be good. He's right in the way of this, of the, the path of this huge freighter. And then suddenly they collide. Oh, no, they don't. They pass by. It just looked like they were going to collide because of your perspective from this distance. It looked like those things were going to hit together, but they're actually a couple hundred feet apart. Well, as you look at some biblical prophecy, even the passage that we look at that Jesus gives in Matthew 24, you see some things that are talked about in the same conversation, and from our perspective, it looks like these two things are at the same time, but as you realize through the Spirit's guidance and through the patient interpretation of the Scripture, you realize these are, these are two shifts that are related, closely related, and yet they're distant, so it's kind of like that message on your, on your rearview mirror. The objects are actually further apart than they appear. Right? What looks like they're right here at the same time, actually there's time difference. So, so some would call it, in, in Bible prophecy interpretation, it's kind of the, the now but not yet interpretation. There's some things that are immediate fulfillment, and then there's some things that come down the road. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of that to help us prepare for the future. In these verses, starting in verse 15, we will see Jesus saying to his followers, hey, don't be surprised when suffering comes. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. So the disciples were thinking, actually, this is victory, right? This is that we've had suffering, and now it's time for victory. Jesus is saying to them, actually, things are going to get more difficult. Verse 15, let's look at this, these uh, few verses, 15 through 21. We see that we can know that suffering will come. Verse 15 says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, say that with me, abomination of of desolation. Doesn't that just give you the shivers just by saying it? Abomination of desolation. It's a phrase that some of the Jewish people would have been familiar with because the prophet Daniel had used that phrase in his prophecy. Sorry to interrupt. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Whoa. This is Jesus. Maybe some would say the most optimistic person that ever walked the face of this earth. A person that is filled with joy because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. This was Jesus, and he gives this message. He's painting this painful picture of what was going to happen, and it would be terrible. The prophet Daniel, if you ever get a chance to, uh, to read chapter, actually the whole book of Daniel is powerful. The first seven chapters are kind of cool stories. And you, as you read it, you'll you remember those books, those stories you heard in the children's books, right? Because they're pretty incredible accounts of what happened. And then Daniel was given a vision of the future that he records in chapter 9 through chapter 12. And it's some staggering descriptions of what would come and how incredibly they come true. If you were to take Daniel's message and put it up according to your history books, you would say, ah, it's incredible. How did he know? Well, it's because history is his story, right? It's God's story. He knows all that's going to happen. And he, he showed the world even before it did what, what was going to occur. And one of the things that Daniel talked about was this abomination of desolation, a time when there would be great blasphemy in the temple. And so as the Jews would read Daniel's prophecy, most of them would think, yeah, Daniel told us about that, and it was really bad. Because about 150 years before Jesus, there was this Greek king of the Saludan Empire that came and it was his desire to shame the whole Jewish nation. He came through and he wreaked havoc in, in that land and he went into the temple, he brought in pigs, he sacrificed pigs and intentionally blasphemed their God. It was a horrendous time. But maybe you've heard of the, the holiday Hanukkah. Raise your hand if you ever heard of the Jewish holiday Hanukkah. Okay, most of you. That is a celebration, a commemoration of Judas of, Maccabe of, of, the, of the Maccabees who led a revolt against this dude who did this abomination of desolation and he successfully resisted and defended the Jewish land from this person who was so blasphemous. So they would look back to that and say, yeah, Daniel told us about that and it was pretty bad. Here comes Jesus... To say, you know what Daniel told us about? That day is coming. And that would have been staggering for them. But Jesus says that this would be a day of horrendous and ruthless difficulty. Such so that he's saying, when it happens, flee to the mountains. Don't grab your coat. Just go. Hope you're not pregnant. And I hope it's not winter. Because when it happens, it will happen suddenly and it will be intense. 
Well, historians tell us that about 40 years after Jesus made this statement, an abomination of desolation actually occurred that made this, this blasphemy of 100 years ago seem like child's play because the Roman emperor Titus would come in with his armies and completely obliterate the Jewish nation, the political nation that it was. Although the disciples had just told Jesus, wow, check out this temple, it's incredible. Jesus said, and this all gonna be, it's all going to fall. There's not going to be one stone upon another, and that's exactly what happened. The Roman emperor came in, and he completely destroyed the temple. He completely destroyed Jerusalem. That happened in A.D. 70. And for the next 1,900 years, there was no Jerusalem, no Jewish Jerusalem. There was no temple. There's still no temple other, other than the rubble and a few remaining walls like the Western Wall. So when Jesus said the abomination of desolation is coming, Jesus knew what he was talking about. He's helping his followers see that what, you, what you're hoping for as I came into the city ready to bring peace between man and God, you misinterpreted that. I'm not bringing peace between people yet, although there'll be glimmers of that as my people receive reconciliation and they become agents of reconciliation. The reality is the world will be really, really hard. There will be a beginning of tribulation that will not end until this incredible scene takes place when the Son of Man comes. He said, but for now, you need to know that in our world, there will be tribulation. He had, been, he had been telling them that, and they just weren't picking it up. Parents, you know what that's like. I've been telling you, and I'm telling you, and kids just aren't picking up what they're learning. Jesus said over and over, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, and he will be crucified, and three days he'll rise again. And they just weren't picking it up. They'd say, yeah, now that you mention that, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> like, oh, you're not, you're not getting it. Where Jesus says to his followers, where I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man must suffer. Seriously, we're going to Jerusalem? Bring out the palm branches. It's time for our victory. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they weren't picking up what he was laying down. And he says again in the Mount of Olives, no, the time of suffering will be severe. It's kind of like Christians today. Kind of like sometimes I get in this mentality of, God, if I love you so much and I serve you so faithfully, why are these bad things happening to me? And God says, remember my word. Remember my, my, my younger brother, James, who wrote down, don't be surprised at the fiery afflictions that come. Count it joy when they come because it will do something good for you. Well, forget my words when I've said, in this world you will have tribulation, but don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. You see, for the follower of Jesus, there will be suffering. We must not get into this false concept that, that we live in the age of Christendom, right? Where if I'm a follower of Jesus, then people will be respectful of me. Actually, the normal 
for the follower of Jesus since his ascension would be and will be and is hatred towards those that follow Jesus. I mean, we've been living in an anomaly. So be, don't, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We're living in a season of tribulation, and it's going to get worse. So why? Why is this season here? Well, God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish, so he's waiting for more and more people to come to him before he just ends the suffering. And meanwhile... He gives us the Holy Spirit so that when we suffer, good can happen. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We have the Holy Spirit so that when we suffer, God says, I know the enemy wants this for your destruction, but I'm going to use this for your development. I'm going to create a better you through this time of suffering if you allow the Holy Spirit to do that transforming work. So God's greatness and presence transforms our suffering from destruction to development. Second, God's greatness brings victory after the suffering. Following Jesus doesn't end in suffering. Following Jesus may involve suffering, but following Jesus does not end in suffering. Compare that to rejecting Jesus will also involve suffering, but it will end in suffering. So Jesus gives us hope in the midst of our difficulty and our challenge. Paul wrote in, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. That the difficulty that I'm going through doesn't even compare to the rewards that God has for those who faithfully follow him. It's kind of like how loving parents ensure that their kids take their medicine. All right? Now, now some of you had really good kids and you said to them, you know, this is going to help you get better, so come take your medicine. And they obediently came up to you. They opened their mouths, and they took their medicine just like they were supposed to. But some of you also had children. Now, I had some of those kids, too. But we also had some kids that I'm glad there was no cameras around <laughs> when it was time to give any medicine, right? I mean, literally, I remember times where we took two grown-ups in our house sitting on this three-year-old to get this child to actually not just get it in their mouth, but then swallow it, right? Why would we do that? Because we knew that the outcome is going to be better for this child. You think of a surgeon. Why would they do, be such cruel people, right? Would they take a knife and they cut into human flesh as we're laying there defenseless on the table, why would they do that? Why? Because they know that the outcome is going to be better because of it. Or God says, because of my Holy Spirit's presence with you, even though there's this time of suffering, and, and believe me, I know that God, and take this right, God despises the suffering because he, he created us so he wouldn't have to go through that. He hates death 
and disease so much that he sent his one and only son so that it would end. And yet in the midst of that, he knows that while we're waiting for that end to come, he can do good in the midst of our difficulty. And I know this is hard to hear when you're in the midst of the difficulty. But maybe the Spirit of God will give a glimmer of hope to you if that's where you are, where you would truly believe this is good. In the midst of the pain, what's going to happen is good. The second thing Jesus has to say as he wraps up this section, he's, he, he, in verse 22, he assures us that we can still trust in God's sovereignty and his power in the midst of our suffering. Verse 22, he says, If the days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but after the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. As I said, it would be a horrendous time. A time when uh, Josephus, the first century historian, he would record this AD 70 destruction of Jerusalem and the temple to be so horrendous that in the city there would be a million people slaughtered. That from the city there would be 97,000 that were taken as slaves. It would be a horrendous time. But Jesus said, though horrendous, though harsh and brutal, God will protect his people from ultimate destruction that man is capable of producing. God says, if my hand were in this, it would be so destructive, it would be the total annihilation of all mankind because that's what humanity has as a potential. But God says, my hand is there and I will protect it from going too far because of those I've chosen. That yes, the Jerusalem will be destroyed. Yes, the nation, the political nation would be destroyed. But God would end it and he would always have a remnant that followed him. Multiple times throughout the scripture, God speaks of this remnant. In Acts 15, Amos 9, he says, A remnant will seek the Lord and the nations who are called by my name. Romans 11, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. God's hand will keep it from going too far. Now, all, people will come up with all kinds of alternatives to, to looking to Jesus as a, as a Savior. We'll look to political heroes. We'll look to medical miracles. We'll look to technology. And maybe that's where we're going to find our deliverance. And throughout history, God has often used human agents to sustain his creation, right? The, the, the development of antibiotics and, and modern medicine, um, political and military heroes that stop evil from happening. So God certainly uses them, but Jesus himself is the ultimate solution. And that's what he, he says in the next, in next section, verse 23. He says to remember that the return of Jesus will be unmistakable. Matthew 24, 23 says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say, 
oh, look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Oh, Jesus, what are you saying? He's saying there's going to be all kinds of rumors. From when Jesus ascends, in every generation, there'll be rumors of the Messiah coming back. And some will say, yeah, he's in the wilderness. We've got to go find him. Don't believe it. Some will say, hey, he's hiding in the city. Don't believe it. Because the reality is, when he does come, it will be so obvious, you can't miss it. Like when lightning flashes in the sky, and it might be six miles away, but it's that kind of lightning. When it flashes, the whole sky lights up. That's what it'll be like when Jesus returns. Or he says, it's kind of like the vultures of the air. When, when they're not going to miss the decaying meat, right? That's what they live for. So they're not going to miss it. Just like the believers who truly believe in Jesus. They're not going to miss it when he comes. It's going, to be, it's going to be obvious and it will be sudden and it will be sure that he comes to redeem us from this season of tribulation. Now, as you read passages like 2 Thessalonians and even into the book of Revelation, you can even look to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, and some have surmised, well, maybe there's a coming season, which is a great tribulation and another abomination of desolation, and maybe those things are true. But regardless, Jesus' point is not for us to huddle together and just keep our eyes up thinking, is he going to come? Is he going to come? Is it going to be now? Or maybe to spend all our time trying to count numbers and rearrange alphabets to see if maybe we can predict if this is going to come in, in our generation. That's not Jesus' point at all. His point is, so follow me. Don't follow me because in hopes that your life on this earth is going to be problem-free because it's going to be a parade of suffering and I'm going to lead it. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to lead this suffering. So just watch me. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to suffer and know that that's a path that I'm etching. But here's the thing. Unless a, grade of, a, a seed of grain falls to the ground and dies, it's never going to produce fruit. So I must die so that great fruit will be produced. And all of us will have to go through a season of difficulty but the end result is going to be such fruitfulness you never dreamed. So follow me. As his followers took his words to heart and the Holy Spirit continued to inspire them to give us further understanding that was recorded in Scripture. For instance, I think of Titus chapter 2, which seems so important for us today. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11 says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Verse 13 again, waiting for our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we do while we wait? When we're in this season of difficulty, what do we do while we wait? He says, well, we receive the training to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. And we become a people who are zealous for good works. What do we do while we wait? I mean, we want the Garden of Eden. That's what we want. That's what our hearts are longing for that. The world as God originally created to be free from this trouble and difficulty. That's what we want. That's, that's God-gifted longing in our heart. But what do we do while we wait for that? Well, I, I visited a couple of, of your homes, a couple in particular. I'm not going to mention them. I'll just assume that that you're assuming I'm talking about your yard. When I came there and I, I looked at it and said, man, this is beautiful. And I, and, and I had the thought in my mind, I'd love for my yard to look like this. Because there's the beautiful plantings and the, the landscaping and it looks, it just looks really, really nice. I'll bet I know what didn't happen. I'll bet you didn't simply... Go to somebody's yard and say, wow, this is really, really nice. And not do anything. No, no, I bet what you did, you went to that undeveloped property or underdeveloped property. And you said, well, I'd like, I'd like this to look different. And so there were some weeds in, in landscaping that you had to get out of there. Right? Some things that you knew don't belong there. It's not bringing beauty to this area. So you pulled those things out. And then you thought, there's some other things that should be here. And so you, you brought these plants that you knew would bring you joy and would look beautiful in your property. And so you planted those. And so your, your existence then, it's not all you do, but part of your time then is spent removing what doesn't belong and planting what does belong because you're longing for just that beautiful environment. Well, in a sense followers of Jesus while we wait for Jesus to come. We need to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get rid of those things that don't belong and begin to plant those things that do belong in the life of a follower of Jesus. We probably all still have things that even as I begin talking about it right now, God's bringing to our mind habits, Words we use, attitudes we carry that we know doesn't belong in the life of a follower of Jesus. But for some reason, we just tolerate it. Oh, we want the Garden of Eden, but kind of like the pastor who comes and says, I wish my yard was like this. Right? So, so why, don't, why don't we then, again, through the power of the Spirit, through His working through us, allow Him to remove those things from our life that shouldn't be there and to use our lives to plant those things that should. Why, why are we again on Saturday coming together, investing these funds and these monies for these groceries, spending a Saturday morning to, to impart these things into the hands of people that need them? Why? Because we are a people zealous for good works. 
Because food insecurity should not be a part of our world. He has not designed our world. Remember when God created the garden? He said, I've given you all these trees for you to enjoy. You have everything you need, but you look out there and you see lots of hungry people. So what do we do? We feed the hungry. We see people that are lost and worried. So what do we do? We come alongside and we're companions with them in their difficulties. We look for ways where there's brokenness in our world and we're zealous for those things. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do is be people of good works. Not just so there's good things, but so that we have an opportunity to share the good news, which is the greatest work of all, sharing the message of Jesus and his salvation. I hope your hearts were broken by what many people in Texas and in the southern states are are going through. You know, we sure enjoy the fact that we in Michigan, we know how to deal with the cold. Well, the reality is they're suffering part of the brokenness of our world in this season of tribulation. So what can we do? Well, I, I don't know fully, but here's one thing that you enabled us to do. This week, we sent a significant amount of resources to Houston, Texas, out of our emergency relief fund, because a portion of every gift that you give goes to our global missions. Part of that global missions is this emergency relief, so when there's a worldwide crisis, we can respond as a church. So we've connected with Living Word Bible Church there in Houston, Texas, to enable them to have resources to bless their community, make sure there is fresh water, to make sure there's other resources that are there. Why do we do that? We don't even know those people. That's, that's who we are. We're God's people. We're people of his possession who are zealous for good works. How is this all going to work out? When is Jesus going to return? We don't know the dates. In fact, he told us, don't don't worry about dates. Just, Just make sure you're plucking up what doesn't belong in your life and you're planting in the world what should belong in our world and be zealous to do good and follow me. In the world, you're going to have suffering. But we don't do it with no hope. We know his solution is coming. And we have a job to do while we wait. Let's be those kind of people, shall we? Doesn't that sound like an exciting way to live? Instead of fretting, worrying, or wringing our hands and worrying about, oh, how are we going to get through this? Well, I, all I know is God's hand will keep it from getting too, too severe. And he's going to come back and make it all right. And he's given us a job to do. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us all that we need to be faithful in this present age, in this present day. Lord, certainly the prophecies of your son and the other prophets that that you've called, Lord, are amazing. But you haven't given us those things to amaze us. You've given us those things to prepare us. I thank you for how your son has given his life for us in the cross. How he proved to us, Lord, that he is truly the son of God. God in flesh, sent to us to redeem the world and bring all of the broken creation back into redemption. Lord, while we wait for that ultimate day, may we be people zealous to love one another, to do good works, and committed 
to create in our lives a godliness that will draw people to you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for doing the work in us as you transform us from glory to glory into the image of your son, Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you do something in us in this moment. Lord, maybe there's someone here. Maybe there's a bunch of us here that you brought something to our mind that's in our life that doesn't belong, that we know is producing harm, that is keeping us from knowing you fully, that it's allowing us to be dissatisfied with, um, with what's better and we become satisfied with what's less. So Lord, grant us the strength to repent, to turn from that, and to find healing over that ailment and to experience the planting of godliness in us. So Lord, form us into who you want us to be, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. God's people said, amen. Amen. Let it be. Let's stand together and let's sing.